0: Praise night for the rising of the sun to the end of every day. Praise at night, all the nations of the earth, all the angels and the saints sing praise. So today we're talking about. God, knowing him and rest, which uh, we've already t- kind of, the beautiful thing about scriptures is it kind of, it fits well with itself. It's, it just, it just rolls, you know, God is just, you know, as he, you know, directed the writers of the, of the Bible, that it just, it's beautiful to see how it just fits so well together. And so um, we're going to continue to see how the, the topic of rest, he spoke a bit about rest about his yoke. And easy and light and rest and that comes from knowing God and that's we've already picked up on that and we're going to continue that thread continue that stream into Matthew 12, 1 through four um, as we talk about Sabbath because ironically enough Sabbath is supposed to be a day of rest and a day of knowing God or coming to know God stopping so we can be aware of God and we're going to see that this morning so off our first slide please so to review and remind ourselves what we did deal with last week. Um, to know Jesus is to know God. That's kind of what we ended with last week. Jesus is the ultimate authority. It says in, in um, Matthew eleven twenty seven, the first little section, all things have been committed to me by my Father. He's the ultimate authority. Committed means you're in charge. You know, Jesus is, is the boss. He, that's why we call him the Lord. You know, it, it's, 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 it, the word Lord serves several purposes. You know, ha um, is a word that they used in, um, in the Septuagint, which is the Hebrew or the Greek version of the Hebrew Bible to speak of God. So when they called Jesus ha they were calling him God every single time while not calling him God the Father, you know. But yet also, the word kurios was used because it meant Lord. It's, it's the chief. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. He's, he's the boss. He's got the authority. And so it's a very clever you know, word to, to be used to describe Jesus Christ and, and you know, him being God and him being the ultimate authority. Uh, Jesus and the Father know each, each other intimately. So a lot of what we're going to talk about today is knowledge, knowing God, coming to know God. And we know that Jesus and God, they know each other very well they're, 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 because they are one. They're the the, 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 the the first and the second part of the Trinity. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. Again, we talked about that last week. And I put some Greek words in here, which I didn't do last week, just to kind of help us maybe get a bigger picture. The word to know, you know, as used here is, is And the word epe would mean, it means if we even use it today, you know, like a mess, and, you know, like epidural or whatnot, you know, it means to be on top of, to be above. So it's not talking about just... Uh, a common knowledge, gnosko. He's talking about like a superior kind of knowledge. He knows God well. And God knows Jesus completely. To become thoroughly acquainted with. To know thoroughly. To know accurately. And to know well. To ascertain, to understand. So they know each other fully. That's the word, epe gnosko. Um Also, we learned last week, we can know God. We, we can know God, but we can only know God, however, through interacting with Jesus. We know Jesus, and that's how we know God. We want to know God, we must go God, to God through Jesus. We must know God through the knowledge of Jesus. Because again, they're connected intimately. And it goes here. And those whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Um, and the reveal, you know, Apa apocalupto. Um, ap- To make known, like we get from uh, apocalypse, apocalypto, similar word. It's a different, you know, um, tense. To make known, make manifest, disclose what was before unknown. So without Jesus, we have a kind of a blurred, a very dark understanding. We can't really see God very well. Now, he did reveal himself through prophets in the Old Testament, but he's revealed himself so much more completely through Jesus Christ. It just, he took the veil off. While before, it was just like little glimpses, little peeks through the veil. But now Jesus has totally uncovered the veil. So now we can fully know God. He's, that's what it means, to discover, to disclose, to just bring it out to the open. So a lot of what, what we're reading in context is about knowing God, coming to know God, coming to understand who he is. And also to know God is to know rest. It's almost like there's peace. It's like this is complete, when we can't rest, usually it's during times of turmoil, when, there's, when things aren't in order, when things are chaotic, we can't rest. But when things are together, we can find breathing space. Things come together when we find God, when we stop and sit at the feet of God, when we look at Jesus to learn about God in his, you know, in his entirety. And this is a simple and clear invitation for us all to have rest. God's inviting us, come have rest. Matthew 11, 28, 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke. Remember last week we talked about yoke meaning life. We can, a yoke is, is, in, is intended for two creatures, and you could take it by yourself, but you're going to be a wonky trolley. But he says, here, take my yoke. Share with me so we can walk together. And so now it's balanced, the yoke. Life is balanced with Jesus. But more than that, we get the benefit of using his strength. <laughs> And Jesus is strong. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. He's easy to be with, you know. We can take our yoke and share it with Jesus, and he's not going to get lazy and make us pull his weight. He's not going to pull us the wrong direction. He's gentle. He's, and we can find rest for our souls. His yoke is easy, and his burden is light. So that's a review. Now we're going to go into the next section. But speaking of rest, in the next section... We're going to speak a little bit about the Sabbath and its function. And the reason why I want to talk about the Sabbath and its function is because um, Jesus is going to come across these these Pharisees, which are legalistic. And they've taken the Sabbath and they've made it uh, a, a hideous Book of rules and, and what to do, what not to do. And they've made it a burden. They've really messed up the Sabbath. And, what, and, and in doing so, they've taken away the purpose of the Sabbath. What, what was the function? What was the purpose? What was the reason why God established the Sabbath? The, the Pharisees have totally taken it from a day of rest and turned it into a day of rules and regulations, do's and don'ts. And, 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 and it was very harsh and legalistic. Uh, and Jesus is going to confront them as they supposedly confront Jesus. He's going to turn the tables on them as he does. But what is the function of Sabbath? Well, purely speaking, let's look at what God says about the Sabbath. And, and, and it actually is a simple thing. It really is a simple thing. It isn't a big rule of, a you know, book of rules and, and do's and don'ts and legislation. It's a simple, as simple as what we'll see here. First of all, we have the first instance of the Sabbath in Genesis 2, 1 through 3. Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy, because on it, he rested. The word holy, rested. We see the connection. Holy, I define holy and there if you see it in the single asterisk. Set apart, different. It's a different kind of day. It's different. It's it's, it's to be set apart. It's to be made special. Different specifically from normal kind of working things. Okay? So we see an idea kind of what Sabbath is in nature. It's got to be different. It's got to be a special kind of day. And then Exodus 20, 8 through 11, this is where he gets a bit more instructive about the Sabbath. But look at and notice the instruction he gives about Sabbath isn't as hideous and as laborious as what the Pharisees make it to be. It's still quite a simple, broad definition. Remember in Exodus 20, and this is the Ten Commandments, by the way, remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. So again, he reminds us, it's a holy day, it's special, okay? Six days you shall labor and do not and do all sorts of work, your work, what you do as work. But on the seventh day he is is, is a Sabbath to the Lord. So Sabbath to the Lord, it's especially for the Lord. It's not just rest for rest's sake, it's rest to stop to be with the Lord, to be dedicated to God. On it you shall not do any work. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. So again, he's reminding them the Genesis 2, you know, situation. The Genesis 2 scenario. He worked hard. He labored. He created. But then he stopped. He himself stopped. And I think this is beautiful because what it shows you is, number one, God is not his work. He's not a deistic or a pantheistic or panentheistic God where God is in creation. God is creation. But no, God's separate. He's different than creation. He's removed from creation. God created, but creation was an extension from him. He he was there before creation. So God's not a part of his work. He's not part of this creation. He's separate from it. So after he created the heavens and the earth, he himself rested, allowed himself to be himself. And so I think he wants us to not... Get confused with our work. We're not, we're not our work. We're special people. Special people, you know, set apart, different. And that's what the words here, it says here, therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath, they made holy. And later on Exodus Acts 31, he, we can see that actually through it, we're made holy, okay? So Exodus 31, 12, and this is quite, this is where he really gets a bit kind of, this is right before, if you remember we studied this, that the, the Israelites um, uh, establish or make that um, golden calf and worship it. So this is God saying, listen, don't forget me. You cannot forget me because you're so easily fickle kind of people that you're going to forget me. So I'm telling you, don't forget me. (laughs) You know, you need to remember me. If not, you're going to get caught up into the pagan gods and pagan way of doing things. But don't do that. So as a warning, he says this in Exodus 31, 12 to 13. The Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbaths. We already know what Sabbath is in a kind of pure sense. It's a holy day set apart to rest, to be with God. That's what I see so far. I don't see anything more than that. It's not that complicated. This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come. Oh, we have some more information here. It's starting to fill out a little bit. It's a sign. It's a sign. It's a covenant. There's an important thing to it. There's this relationship. (coughs) It's kind of like Israel's way of saying the Jehovah is our God. This is and, and, and for the benefit of themselves, but the, for their children, for the family, for the generation to come. It's something to pass on. So you may know that I'm the Lord. There's another element of it. The purpose of the Sabbath is so that you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. So God makes us holy. God does a thing in us. God works us. He, he develops us. He, he's with us. And, and how, how else is he going to be with us if we don't st- shut up, <laughs> stand still, and be with him, to listen, to let him minister to us? That's what the Sabbath is all about. But it's also important because it's a family thing. It's, it's a way for us to actually pass on to the generations, our children and our grandchildren. So you must stop. You must be with me. And, and you must do this. And you must be persistent in it as a sign for you, it represents our relationship, and it's also to be passed on for generations. And the purpose is so that you may know. So again, that word knowledge, how do we know God? So I would say the Sabbath, in a sense, is about growing up, to be made holy. To be made holy, it's to be set apart. But it talks a lot about maturity and growing up and learning, right? So... So, the function of Sabbath, if we can reduce it really simply, it's a day set apart where we can sit with God to learn about him, to get to know him, okay? So, again, the idea of knowledge, to know God. How do we know God? We can know God through the Sabbath. We can know God through Jesus. That's what we've seen so far. So, we too are holy, in a sense, and this knowledge of God, this knowing God, getting to know him, it plays an important role in this holiness process. A lot to take on in that slide, but I think it's important to get through as we continue on. Next one. So basically we've got God. <laughs> and we got two options, two ways to kind of get to know Him. Okay? Now, this is not like again it talks about pure salvation. Salvation comes through knowing. We're not saying that. This is talking about more or less kind of information that you would use in a general sense. You know how and so it could be used for evangelism to, you know, share the gospel. How do you know that? The God you serves is the real God. Well, evangelism will explain how we can know God. But it's also for maturing, for growing up spiritually. We want to grow up. We don't want to be babies. Paul's frustration with the church in Corinth is that they were like babies, still having to feed them milk. He wanted to, to talk to them about meatier things and, and deeper things. So before Jesus, there was one option. The way that the Israelites were to kind of spend time with God, to get to know him, to, to develop this holiness process. And I would call this the lesser option. Because it's without Jesus. <laughs> Anything without Jesus is a lesser option. So before Christ, it was through the Sabbath the Sabbath alone, really, in the prophets, of course, and in the temple and all the other things. But the Sabbath was the day we would stop to get to know God, to be with him, stop regular, distractive life, to pursue him, to become holy, to grow up. This was a mandatory, this was mandatory. God says, you must do this. It was mandatory for the God of people. And then, of course, they were to pass on this tradition, this, this, this important act, this important day, a holy day. Is they were to continue this, and they were to teach their children to do this, and to teach their children's children to do this, okay? And then we have a second option. And the second option is Jesus, which I would say the better. Jesus, he gives us a complete understanding, as we've already seen through our Bible studies, because the intimate connection between Jesus and God. He gives us a complete understanding, this epikonoskos. A complete understanding of God, because he is the Son of God. And of course he's instituted the church, right? And also the canonization of scriptures. Basically, what we have here in a lapse, the Bible. This is God breathe. This is God's authority. He's given us this gift of this word so we can get to know him. We can get to know Jesus. And it's not just about sitting and having nice thoughts about some historical guy with who wore sandals and walked about and had this kind of scruffy hair and a beard. No, we have the word of God to give us accurate information about Jesus. So not only the church and what its function, to evangelize and to pass on traditions, good traditions in a good sense, but also part of that tradition is the canonization of scriptures. This is God's word and this is how we know God. Through Jesus and the apostles and whatnot. But mostly through Jesus. Because the apostles are basically, their job is to point people to Jesus. <laughs> and Jesus' job is to show us God in its entirety. So the next slide, please. So basically, we need both kind of. We kind of need both Sabbath. And we need Jesus. And this is why I say that. We need Jesus and then the revelation of Jesus. Through the scriptures, right? And through, through our relationship. Our interaction with them in a daily, regular life. But also, we need the Sabbath time to rest. We need to stop. Because if we don't, how are we going to make time to get to know Jesus? How are we going to make time to stop to read our Bibles? How are we going to make time to sit and worship him? How are we going to make time to stop and soften our hearts so he can enter in? We need that time. That time's important. Time to rest. Time to grow. Time to learn. And time, frankly, just to obey. Because he says to do it. And also, it's an important tradition to pass on to our children and our families in our community. So this is things that we do. So for Tuesday and Wednesday, for instance, we stop. Now, a lot of children in this village, they don't have parents that teach them about the important tradition of, of God and knowing God through the Sabbath rest and church. And they may call themselves Christian, but they don't practice Christianity. And so what we have to do as a church is teach other people's children. So we need to teach our own children, but we also need to take a responsibility to teach the children of our the families of our community if they refuse to obey You know these Principles that God has set, up, set forward to us. And the reality is, we are living in a fallen world in a fallen community in these dark, evil times we're living in. So it's going to get more challenging for us to share the gospel to young and old alike. The old, young older will get more and more stubborn and more and more resistant. And the young will get more and more tainted. And it's horrible. But we have to still continue the job because that is what God's commissioned us to with when He told the disciples, Go out and make disciples of the nation, baptizing them. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And again, I like this this reference of Romans. It doesn't fit perfectly with the baptism thing, but it fits perfectly with this big picture of passing it on and telling, you know. Romans ten fourteen fifteen 15 says, How then can they call on the one who has not be- or one that they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. So, again, kind of a side note, but it's important that we take the time to know Jesus. And we take the time to tell others about Jesus. Because Jesus, and knowing Jesus, is not to know God. And so there's an important role, important aspect of the evangelism, the, the passing it on, if you will. And God did tell us that the Sabbath is to be passed on from generation to generation. So this is how we can pass it on in our own community from generation to generation. So we need to take a responsibility of sending out preachers. That might be you, it might be me, to give people opportunity to hear so they can have opportunity for those words, those seeds, if you will, to grow, to turn into belief. And then there they are. They're called. They'll be um, ones who um, are, those who belong to Jesus, belong to God in a sense. Now, on you go, Gary. The Pharisees, they get a chance to get to know God in the, through the Sabbath, through Jesus. I mean, like I said, Sabbath, the role is to get to know God. It's Jesus, again, how do we get to know God? But through Jesus, the Pharisees get a chance to know God as well. But no, the chance missed. They, <laughs> because of the Pharisees, they blow they, they the chance. They, get, they, they should have known, they should have been ready, should have been ripe for the coming of the Messiah. They should have been ready for Jesus, but... Because of various reasons, they, they missed him. And there's a lot of reasons, a lot of distractions in life that cause people from seeing the Messiah, cause people not to believe in Jesus. And it's unfortunate. But here, on the Sabbath, the day where they should be ready for God to speak to them, God sends him Jesus to, to minister to them, to speak to them, but they miss the opportunity because of the distractions of their life. So Matthew 12, through 8 says this. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields of the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain to eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath day. Now, I bold that word unlawful because I'm just like, how is it unlawful to eat on the Sabbath day? That's all they're doing, really. They're walking through and they're just eating food. How is that unlawful? Now, again, like I said, God didn't say you couldn't do this. God didn't say that they couldn't eat on the Sabbath. God didn't say you couldn't grab grains from the field and eat them. It was the Pharisees who said you couldn't do it. The Pharisees made these really strict laws. These, we'll call them cultural laws. These cultural norms, if you will. They thought, well, we need to make specific, we'll call it legislations. (laughs) We need need to make big books and books and, and just burden ourselves and burden people with these legislations you know, call them policies, procedures, if you will, whatever, you know, just legislations, things that we hate. That is just so, actually, so much part of our current day as well, if you think about it. But it is, it's a burden. God just said, listen, just live life and live life good, basically. But these guys wanted to make it legalistic. So they want to make legislation about it. And so part of it was, well, if you grab a piece of grain, you're Reaping or harvesting, you know, and if you're and if you take the grain out, you're processing it. So that's work. Reap to sow to process. Now we couldn't do that. That's work, but that's just nonsense. So of course Jesus tells them that's nonsense. He answered and said, "Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do." but only for the priests. So, this is not a Sabbath situation, even though this did happen on the Sabbath. The situation was a little bit more complicated. They were hungry. They were hungry. David was running away from Saul, and he him and his companions were there running. They were starving. So, they walk in the temple. The priests, listen, they took the consecrated bread, which is the hot bread that would take away from the temple, and, and it was reserved for the priest to eat for the lunch. And that's what the, Jesus, God said, as far as, as a normal, you know, situation because you didn't want anybody to take advantage of it it was it was something that god said this is the right thing to do this is the right process so it was for the priests to eat for the lunch but here comes david and his buddies and they're starving and so these priests had to make a decision what do we do i mean we're, we're the bread's supposed to be for us it's reserved for the priests however these guys are hungry david could have demanded it because he's the king but the priest said you know what yeah you have this bread and you eat it. And so, in a sense, it was unlawful. And that's what Jesus said here. It was not lawful. So, in a normal kind of legal sense, it wasn't the right thing from the Duke. It's God's established that the show or this bread, this consecrated bread, was for the priests, not for the kings, not for anybody else. Okay? And then, he, so there's one example the law. You know, um, or haven't you read in the law that the priests on the Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? Okay, here's the situation. Not only on this particular case, but in, in every Sabbath situation, the priests are busy working in the temple. They're working in the temple. Do you guys realize that? Kind of like how on the church, I kind of, I have to put work together for this, preparing Bible study and you know, whatnot. And so, you know, most times it's done on Sunday, Saturday, but we still, we set up things. We set up things. That's kind of work set up here. We set up chairs. That's work. But we do it for a purpose, for a reason. There's a better reason. The reason for the Sabbath is to get to know God. So we need to stop. So what about the priests? Are they in sin for doing the busy, important work of the temple? No, they're not in sin. They're innocent, according to Jesus. And then, of course, another example. I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. But the bottom line is this. And you guys aren't getting it. I am Jesus. I'm the son of God. I'm here. And you have a chance to know the Sabbath, to know God through me. Something greater than the temple, something greater than the Sabbath. In fact, he is the Lord of the Sabbath, as he says here. If you have only known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You, have, you would have not condemned the innocent. So Jesus is saying, even though what they're doing according to their laws is unlawful, they're still innocent. And so there's like a, so we have to make a distinction between moral rightness and what's l- legislative or legal. Um, and the word, of course, sacrifice. Um, he used it before a couple of um, chapters. Here he's talking about desiring mercy, not sacrifice. Again, these guys were hungry. They needed something to eat. They ate. Simple as that. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing guilty. There's nothing bad about it. Just like earlier when he was sitting with Matthew, the tax collectors, the Pharisees came to him then and said, what are you hanging out with these tax collectors, these sinners for? And he's like, well, they need me. They need to be ministered to. That's why I'm here. And so he says again in Matthew nine eleven, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So again, look at the word lawful. Because like I said, we need to make a distinction between what's lawful compared to what's right. Um, the word lawful means nomos, which we get the word normal. It's what's what expected. It's like society's like, standards. It's, it's, it's the norms, the cultures. And a lot of these things can be made law. For instance, um, years ago, it was normal to smoke in, in, in bars and pubs like that, right? But now, it's not normal because it's also the law that you can't smoke. So people have accepted it because it's the law. That's what this word nomos means. It's what's accepted the society because the law has... You know, the society has decided, let's make this such and such. And that's kind of what the Pharisees did with certain things. Let's make it such and such. Doesn't mean it's right. Doesn't mean it's good and all perfect. They're just norms. So, nomos, anything established, anything received by usage, a custom, a law, a command, which is quite different than the ethical or moral principle. Ethical, moral means this is right and this is wrong. And that's just it, i.e. rightness or wrongness, evilness. And I've got a couple examples here. I was talking to Danny about this. Uh, The classic ethical situation, what would happen if, say, um, the society has condemned Christianity or condemned a a, a social ethic group and decided that that they need to be exterminated? And we know the situation of World War II, right? Nazi Germany, that basically happened. Now, is that right? Because it's law. Is it right to exterminate millions and millions upon millions of Jewish people because of their ethnicity? Because the law has established it. Of course, it might be the law, but it's totally wrong. And so you have situations like the classic ethical situation like where um, the Anne Frank situation. If you read the Anne Frank diaries or seen the movies about it, they were in hiding for two years before they were found out. So the fact that they were hiding and lying and going against the law, was that right or wrong to protect someone? Is that right or wrong, even though you're going against the law? You know, just because it's a law doesn't mean it's right or wrong. It should be challenged, could be challenged. In fact, I hate to say it to you, but Christianity was illegal. <laughs> In the when the Roman culture, Roman society before it became the Holy Roman Empire, it, it, it basically the Christians were hunted and killed and martyred because not because they worshiped Jesus, but because they refused to worship the emperor. See, the Roman culture was, was, was polytheistic. You could worship all kinds of gods. They were open with that. They were okay with it. So worshiping Jesus was fine. But the problem was, like Daniel in Babylonian times, he refused to, to worship anybody but God. The Christians refused to worship anybody but God or Jesus. So the, so the, so the Roman emperor, you know, jealous, jealous enraged. Well, who do these Christians think they are? Is there going to be an uprising, another you know Jewish sect uprising? And so they decided to condemn. So that's the law. The law says Christians are condemned because they are disobeying the law. What's the law? Worshiping the emperor. Is it right to worship the emperor because it's a law? No, the Christians had to make a stand. No, this is wrong. We will not worship the emperor because it is ethically, morally wrong to do that. So even if we have to go against the law. So you see, the law it's almost like a lesser thing compared to what's good. And so what we want to do when we build our laws is we want to point as high up to the good as possible. And that's what I think what good, genuine politicians would want to do. They would want to make their laws as good as possible. But sometimes, they're a bit dodgy. And what do you do? Sometimes you might have to challenge them. Again, Titus. um, That's kind of a weird one. Danny mentioned this to me and I thought it was interesting. Because this is where, it's kind of a gray area. Remember, it's not not Titus, it's a, Philemon, wasn't it? Yeah, where, where, where Paul was encouraging the, the fella to, uh, to take back the slave. Remember the runaway slave? Now, slavery, I believe, you might disagree with me, is I think principally wrong in the sense of, you know, yeah, I just think slavery is just wrong. You know, I'm, you can argue with that, but I think it's just wrong. But the law at that point, just like in Britain, and America, it was legal to have slavery. And, you would, and a person who was a slave would have to succumb to that standard, that normal, that nomos, if you will. So that's an interesting one. So Paul said, well, take him back and let him come back and serve you in your home. You know, because he's not just a slave, but now he's your brother because he's born again. So that's kind of a strange one. So we have the big picture what's good, what's right, what's, you know, like for instance, slavery, wrong. But yet, the nominals. here in this situation, Paul said, let's make the situation work well. You know, so something to think about, I think, with these scriptures. But the bottom line is this, the Sabbath, Jesus, the point of them is to know God. Knowing God will lead us, therefore, to righteous acts. So like with all these other situations, like with the early church and fighting against Rome, with the Anne Frank situation, and even with Paul and Philemon, all these situations, all these, if you know God, if you're close to God, then you're going to make generally the right choices because God is with you. And so righteous acts usually comes as a consequence of fruit of knowing God. So ministering to sinners like Jesus with Matthew, healing the sick on the Sabbath, big deal, feeding the hungry on the Sabbath again, but but, but being with God, knowing God, being close to God, being a disciple of God must come first, and the acts righteous acts will follow. <clears throat> and here Jesus is with them, and they don't get it. So we have hypocrisy, more hypocrisy. And this time, last time it was from just culture in, in, in you know in. in As a whole. This time we have hypocrisy from the religious folk of Jesus' day. So Matthew twelve nine to twelve says this. Going on from that place, he went to the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there, looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus. And they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So now our talking about Sabbath this, this kind of should give us an automatic response to this. Of course it is. Again, it's not illegal to heal. Again, according to God, according to God's word, he never said you couldn't heal on the Sabbath. He just said rest to make it a holy, separate day. Now, first of all, the synagogue is a formal assembly of Jewish men. The reason why I want to say that is here are these guys, they're hanging out together. They're, they're, it's a formal assembly. And the reality is, I think it's interesting how they call it their synagogue. Isn't it Jesus' synagogue? Isn't it God's synagogue, right? But no, but they made it about themselves. And in and amongst them, is this fella with the withered hands. So remember, he's gone to them, and in amongst them, one of them was a fella with his withered hands. So think about that. And then he says to them, if any of you have a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? Again, according to God, if your sheep falls into a pit on Sabbath day, you're not working, you're eating your roast dinner, or whatever, and you look out in the field, and you see one your, your sheep's in danger. It's okay to go out and rescue them. God doesn't have no problems with it. They didn't have any problems with it. But to heal a fellow brother, you know, what's going on with that? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on this happen. I like that. It is lawful to do good. And that's why I say, if you're with God, you're going to do good things. No matter what day it is. Bottom line, it should really always be the right thing. It should always be lawful to do good. And that's why I think our law should always point to the good. What makes a person hate it, though, when others do good. And this is our last slide. <coughs> Jealousy, perhaps. And I think that's maybe what's going on with the Pharisees. They're just jealous of Jesus. Because they can't get it right. But Jesus is just, is just so right on. Matthew twelve, thirteen, to 14. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored. Just as sound as the other hand. But look at the Pharisees' response. They went out and plotted how they might kill him. Jesus, you're doing such a good job. Let's kill him. Why? What would make a person want to be that way? Well, think about it, and I've got I it kind of summed up here below the lines. It is very likely that this man was one of their own, like I said earlier. But none of these religious men could help him. You see, he's one of them. Oh, Johnny, if we could help you, we could, but we can't. Jesus walks right in, touches him, heals him. Arr! They made him look bad. Their pride caused him pain. Because this frustrating fella, Jesus, did what they couldn't do. See, again, if we look at Jesus as Lord, as the Messiah's the anointed, chosen one, then we welcome him, and we're happy that he's home. But if we reject him, he just frustrates us. <laughs> and that's what's happening here with them, because they reject him, they're frustrated by him. Remember, these miracles were meant to authenticate Jesus and his ministry. He's an anointed one, that's the point of the miracles. And so again, that's rubbing more salt into the wound, Not only are they doing something he can't do, but he's actually once again in in front of this assembly of Jewish men are saying, look, I'm the Messiah. We don't want to believe it. So it rubs more salt into the injury. Yet another group who refused to repent to turn to their God and their Messiah.